Hey, welcome to the RT Rugby Podcast, and delighted to be joined by Donald Lennon, Bernard Jackman, and Wesley to discuss all things rugby. And we've had uh, quite a bit of news that since we last talked, we get into the Lions selection, maybe, and just your, your thoughts. I know it's been done to death now, but I'd be curious as to your overall thoughts on the squad in, in a couple of minutes' time. But some good news first, Donald. Advocates of free-to-air rugby will be uh, pretty happy with the news that Virgin TV and RTE have come together under an umbrella of allowing rugby to remain free-to-air to showcase the Six Nations for the next few years. And it has to be good news. I know we're slightly biased here because it means we all have a job and we're going to be able to pay the mortgage the next month. <laughs> but generally speaking, it's good news for rugby, isn't it? Yeah, slightly biased. Are you joking me? We're thrilled. <laughs> uh, couldn't believe. Delighted to hear the news when it came in. Um, you know, obviously, I was lucky to be part of RTE's coverage for the Six Nations for a long number of years. And uh, it was a huge blow when we lost it, um, you know, four or five years ago. Uh, but look, there's a wider picture at, at, at uh, on the line here you know we all I suppose were worried when CVC came in um, they took their, their their share of the Six Nations as we know they're involved in Pro 14 the Gallagher Premiership there's a wider uh, story at, at play here but you know you have to dot your hat to the, the Six Nations committee and to be fair to Philip Brown even when we were speculating going back 12 months ago that the, it was inevitable that the Six Nations would go behind the, the paywall. Uh, he was always of a view that, well, look, no, that doesn't necessarily mean that. Um, so, look, I think it's brilliant news. There was a model, obviously, in the UK in the last four years with the fact that the BBC and ITV had come together to keep, um, to keep it on terrestrial television. Uh, I think it's exciting and it, it's brilliant for uh, the general public out there that, you know, the likes of Virgin and RT are coming together to keep uh, the product available to the viewers. And, you know, I just wonder, I think, from a timing perspective, we saw a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, the, the new Super Rugby in Australia. Rugby in Australia was, like, it's hemorrhaging money big time. General public had lost interest. Um, you know, when they set up their own new competition over the last nine months, it was put on terrestrial television for the first time in years. And the audiences went through the roof. There's an interest in the provincial rugby in Australia that they haven't seen for years. Television mm. audience have multiplied since Fox, who, who had been involved as the um, pay-per-view since the advent of professional rugby back in 1995. They stepped out of the picture and the response has been phenomenal. The ARU have been blown away by their viewership figures. So I would imagine in terms of timing and obviously, look, the negotiations were well down the track in terms of um, keeping the Six Nations on terrestrial television. But in terms of timing, that response and news from Australia, I think couldn't have come at a better time. Um, so look, I think it's brilliant for the fans, uh, the fact now that, you know, the games will be available uh, for the next, for the uh, minimum of four years, I would imagine. But, um, you know, the model is there now. It, it, it's worked well. Uh, average viewerships, I think, in the UK for, for games on BBC were up to 9 and 10 million. So why would you put in a, a system which might reduce that to five or 600,000? So look, it's great news overall. It's great news, Birch. And, you know, for, for Donald as well, when the news came in, I never thought a man with, you know, obviously the work he's had done to recover after all the damage playing rugby. And at his age, he was able to do three cartwheels around the kitchen when the news came in. <laughs> that was just the excitement. But look, in terms of uh, just the growth of the game, Donald mentioned the Australian um, 
ex example there this season, which really has exploded, even beyond, I think, what they were expecting in terms of participation numbers now are up across the board, attendances at matches are up across the board and viewing figures as well. It seems to be the way to go, even despite a CBC deal like uh, has happened as well, that free-to-wear is eyes on the game, which is what you need. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant for uh, uh, the fact that the 20s and women's are all going to get shown as well. And um, yeah, if we had went behind the paywall to the likes of Amazon, I, I would have feared how how we could grow the game here. It's such a, a, a massive opportunity for non-rugby households to, to get involved and follow it. And, um, you know, the, the Australian example, you know, 42,000 people at, at the final last week, a phenomenal game. It's one of the fifth minute of injury time. And it was also on free to air. The figures they got for that um, were through the roof compared to what we're watching a year ago behind the paywall. So hopefully you know, we, can, we can definitely um, mirror that, that success in, in Australia. Yeah, we can help continue to grow the game here. Yeah, and well, it's just from, I guess, from an RT standpoint as well, to have Six Nations will be back um, as an organisation, it's, um, it's something to get their teeth stuck into, right? Yeah, definitely. Um... You know, it's obviously brilliant for the wider public that it's going to be on free to air, wherever that may be. Um, and it's, you know, in terms of the game, growth of the game, it's huge. Um, I just like, I suppose, just with the Australian thing for a bit of a slight note of caution is that it's it's Channel 9 that we're showing it. And, and Tim Horn gave a line in commentary at the end of the final the other day saying rugby is back. Uh, and that was a combination of a 42,000 attendance and 463,000 viewers. Um, in a country of 20 million. So, you know, we'd expect to get more than 463,000 for a, a Munster-Leinster game in the Pro 14 on free to air. Certainly any Six Nations game would be above it and several of them would be double it in a country of 5 million people. So, uh, you know, I think, I, I think the Australian example isn't one we'd be looking to mimic exactly. We'd be looking to far exceed that, really. Yeah, are you, are you any chance you're going to ditch your, your, your kind of obsession with that Protestant sport hurling at the moment and just come back to rugby? Or how do you see the highly, highly unlikely, I would say, Hugh, to be right. honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listen, we move on, lads. Um, the, the Lions announcement just fell 24 hours after we finished up last week's podcast. So, Donald, I just wanted to get your thoughts overall. There has been a bit of um, reaction from an Irish standpoint with the absence of, of Johnny Sexton. I suppose mainly Gary Ringrose has been mentioned, as, as is James Ryan. Um, I don't know if, if that's the Irish rose-tinted glasses again, kind of looking inwards and feeling a bit hard done by here. But can you understand the reasons why Gatlin has chosen to leave out those players and overall your thoughts on the squad? Yeah, look, I think there's a certain logic to the way they've got about picking the squad. Um, as with everybody else, I think when it comes, I mean, my own particular squad, I think I differed in six players and certainly four of those six, I would argue vehemently that they should have been included. Um, you know, when you look at the, the overall announcement, you sit down, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's been live on television now for, for over 20 years. Uh, it, was, it was streamed on the, the Lions website. And uh, I have to say, I sat down with full of enthusiasm. Uh, I had picked Alan Wynne jones as captain myself. But my God, he nearly put me to sleep before the, uh, oh, the announcement God. of the squad. I was, how many times I can you ask how, how happy is he to be Lions question? How many times well, was he he, he, yeah, I mean, he made Raj look ecstatic in a half of, in, of his interviews, which was a fair <laughs> achievement. But uh, no, I loved the, the, the hologram, I thought, was the highlight of that. But uh, obviously, then they went to announce the, the names and did it in, in alphabetical order. So, like, Bundy Aki was second out. And, geez, all of a sudden, that you know, that was one that, that certainly I hadn't figured. Um, 
you know, when you when you look at it, uh, and I, you know, I, I've said this re- in the last week. I've written about it this morning. The Lions is all there's a massive amount of luck in terms of being in the right place at the right time in terms of Lions selection. Uh, I think Jack Conan is an example of that, a guy who took his opportunity against England and against uh, Exeter Chiefs um, uh, to take his chances. You look at James Ryan on the flip side of that. I would certainly have brought James Ryan. There's no doubt in my mind that he's working his way back to fitness, having been out of the game for a while. Is James Ryan a better player than Johnny Hill from Exeter? Absolutely. I mean, I thought against uh, Leinster, Johnny Hill, he, he nearly got himself sent off twice with two very borderline tackles. Um, but was, I think, Ryan's misfortune that they came up against a huge uh, La Rochelle front five at a time when he wasn't back to maybe 100% fitness. Uh, any of the last three years, he made his debut in 18. Grand Slam winning year, outstanding um, season for him. He'd have been picked in 18, 19 and 20. 21, he gets that concussion at the wrong time, loses out. But uh, on the wider scale, I would, uh, I'd certainly have picked Kyle Sinclair. Uh, I wouldn't be convinced about either Sutherland or Xander Fagerson going to South Africa. But look, um, they'll, they'll have to prove themselves. Uh, overall, I think, look at the squads. And James Ryan, before you go on, just quickly, has he played too much rugby, Dom? Do you think? Is that, has he been a victim? He, he's this burst wonder kid who's burst onto the blocks three or four years ago. He said he's played brilliant rugby. He's played an awful lot of rugby for such a young guy still. Do you think that's an issue or no? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, you compare it to what his counterparts in England would have played or in France. I don't think he's played more rugby than them. And, you know, generally, we've always eulogised the system and the, the, the minutes of management and game management within the RFU. So no, I don't. I don't buy that. He's twenty-four years of age, for God's sake. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, okay. He hasn't played. He hasn't played more rugby than Maru Atoje or you know, Alwyn Jones is probably the only second row who who can be out of rugby for two or three months and come back and play as well as he did in the okay. Six Nations. So no, I don't buy that. Um, but overall, I think uh, the Kyle Sinclair one is a strange one for me as well. Um, and overall, I would just be slightly concerned. They're obviously besotted with the whole physicality thing of South Africa. Have they sacrificed a little bit too much creativity in terms of their attacking play and their midfield combinations with a view to almost stopping South Africa as opposed to being more creative? When you look at the quality they have at their back three, you know, the Anthony Watsons, the Reese Zammets, Liam Williams, there's brilliant attacking talent there. But um, you just like, I, I would have thought of Gary Ringrose or a Henry Slade would have added to that mix in midfield. So I'd have a slight concern there, but I think, you know, Gatland, he's still, that first test in South Africa in 2009 when he was the Lions forward coach and just the massive physicality they brought that day. Second test probably in Durban, the most physical international I've ever, I've seen in the professional era. Um, So that's the overriding theme, but look, that's the way they're approaching it. Time will tell whether they got it right or wrong. Uh, one of the criticisms, Birch, is that <clears throat> Gregor Townsend um, has had a little bit too much influence on him from a Scottish point of view. Again, this is mostly coming from Irish rugby fans, so you have to take it with a pinch of salt. But overall, your thoughts on the squad? Yeah, look, I, I agree with everything you said. There was some surprises. Um, I don't think we can blame Gregor Townsend. The Scots have have, have improved. Um, you know, they, they were, I think, level with us on points difference in the Six Nations, or it's turning out a decent Six Nations. So, you know, they have some some individual players who you know uh, have stood up. I, I personally wouldn't have taken Ali Price. I, I don't think he's 
you know, uh, a good enough nine. But, um, you know, as a coaching group, uh, Gatlin is strong enough for sure to be able to to make his own decisions on that. Um, so I, I wouldn't blame it on Gregor Townsend. I just think that we have to understand that we're not at the peak of our powers at the moment as an, as a as a uh, as a country. Um, and even domestically, um, you know, we're not the top table in, in Europe bar Leinster getting to a semi-final. So it's natural um, that we don't have as many as, as we maybe would have would have liked to have. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think we're, we, you know, in terms of numbers, um, it's probably a fair reflection of, of where we're at. Uh, Jonathan Sexton hasn't really been mentioned yet, Wes. I know, you know, there are plenty of former internationals that splash their heads saying that on form, Johnny Sexton is still the best out half. In Europe, and it's it's puzzling why he hasn't gone. Can you see why Gatland has left him out? Well, well first I'd say on Gregor Townsend, he, he definitely did have an influence. He he is the coach, so you know obviously. Uh, so I don't know where anyone's. I I don't get the kind of umbrage people are taking to that. Like I mean, he's entitled to pick the team whatever way he thinks is going to get a result, or or pick it in conjunction with Warren, obviously. But mm. um, as far as Johnny goes, yeah, he pro- his form probably was better. I would say then probably then all three uh, when he was at his best, but you know, he missed a lot. He did miss a lot of time and his form did fluctuate a little bit. So I don't think it's highly surprising that he's, uh, he's not there really. Um, like that's not to say I, I don't think he should be there, but, but I'm not surprised necessarily he wasn't picked, but I think, I think there's a few Irish ones that are probably, like I'm sure for James Ryan, the idea that there's two Irish second rows on the tour and he's not one of them is, you know, scarcely believable, as Donald said, up until a few months back. Yeah. Um, but equally, there's a couple of Irish ones that were perhaps fortunate to be there. Like, I mean, I don't, obviously, Bundyaki, no one saw coming. Um, you know, Andrew Porter's done well to get in there as a second choice tight head. That's not to say he's not good enough to be in the squad, but it's harder when you're coming off the bench regularly. Um uh, so, yeah, I mean, you'd take the rough with the smooth from the Irish point of view, but I think um, overall, I, I probably don't think there's as much quality there as there was in the last couple of squads, to be honest. Is there enough quality, Donald, just before we leave it then, for this, this Lions squad to go and beat um, South Africa? And equally, you know, I, I guess a, just a sidetrack of that, Gatland, as you know, has always done things his own way, and he's always taken Donald a certain amount of pleasure by saying... I know better than the sum of your parts and I'm doing things my own way. And when he's proven right, as has often been the case, you know, he's been, he's been uh, absolutely proven correct in what he's done. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he's, he's always been his own man and uh, I respect that fully. And, you know, there is a logic to the way that they've gone about. This isn't a sort of a willy-nilly selection. There is a process there. There are certain key elements that they want to see in players and they pick the squad with that in mind as i say the test series will dictate whether it was the right or the wrong approach um i agree with with ways from the point of view you know when you when you dissected the 37 names and as of now you pick the team that would play in the opening test and um, you know it isn't the most powerful or the most stunningly brilliant lions team of the last say three or four tours there's no doubt about that um but I think this whole tour is predicated by the fact every time the Lions go on tour, and I've spoken about this on this podcast numerous times, <clears throat> you go with one hand tied behind your back. It's a race against time. You're cramming. You're like a student in the night before the leaving, just cramming. What am I going to do? That's the way the coaches have to approach it. Uh, but this time, for the first time, certainly in the professional era, 
the opposition are probably less prepared than the Lions. From the simple point of view, right now, Razi Erasmus doesn't know at what stage he's going to get a lot of his overseas players back to South Africa. It depends on their domestic involvement in domestic games in Japan, in Ireland, in England, and in France. So his squad are scattered to the four winds. They haven't been together since the World Cup. Secondly, he was hoping that their own, the guys based in South Africa, would have been involved in the Rainbow Cup and the, the Rainbow Cup, and they would have played against opposition outside of their own country. So we have a scenario where not one of the Springbok squad have played in an international test since the 2nd of November 2019. So they're in as much of a scramble for that opening test as the Lions are. They were to have, I think, warm-up tests against Italy and, and uh, the USA. They've been scrapped. Now they're hoping to get two tests against Georgia. So the whole thing is a race against time. Now, there is one element with South Africa, you know, we watched that brilliant documentary on the um, on the World Cup and they're coming together. I think there, there'll be an emotional energy within the Springboks, given what they achieved at the World Cup, given um, the impact it had uh, back in South Africa. The fact that they haven't come together since then, uh, I think that emotional energy and that will to do well against the Lions could well supersede the best coaching and the best sort of tactical approach uh, but that's that's the unknown factor in this Lions tour. And that's why, for me, it makes it one of the most intriguing test series that we've seen for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And you're like, you know, there's no question now it is going to go ahead, John, right? I mean, it's, it's definitely happening. Well, I'd be amazed now with the squads picked. And, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, I just saw that they came out, I think it was announced this morning, uh, there's a 25% reduction in the salaries that the players and management are getting from four years ago, taking into account, obviously, the fallout with COVID. So, I mean, if we're getting to that stage, uh, I'd be surprised now if it doesn't go ahead. OK, one player who's going on the Lions tour, um, who's almost nailed on, certainly, I think, to start a tight head barring injury, is Tyke Furlong-Birch. Um, he has just signed a one-year contract extension with the IRFU, which maybe raised a couple of eyebrows in, in its um, the short duration of, of the contract to begin with. He today says he has himself opted for that one-year contract, obviously because he feels maybe that if he gets more rugby under his belt and um, has less injuries over the next year or so, he'll be in a better position to get a better deal from the IRFU. So do you think it's the right move for all parties concerned or what's the reading of it? Um, I think from an IRFU point of view, obviously, ideally they would have tied him down for, for three or four years. You, you don't want to have your, your prized assets um, as being a, a risk and, and Tyke Furlong is a player that could go into any of the top clubs in Europe um, and would be targeted he would be an ideal marquee player for a premiership club which means he doesn't come under the, the salary cap which if you can if you can be of that quality where you're one of the two uh, marquee players that you're willing to um, to allocate you're effectively your market value has, has no relevance the average the average player because you don't come under salary cap and any extra, extra, uh, extra funds they have they'll pump it into that so we, we know that market is, is is quiet at the moment in, in the UK um, the French clubs are, are still reeling financially I mean there's a lot of them um, are going to have to readjust their budgets a little bit so for a player of his quality going to the market uh, it definitely wasn't the right time and obviously he, he 
you'd imagine he feels that the, the contract he was being offered by the RFU wasn't um, large enough to, to tie himself down long term. So I think from our point of view, at least we keep him in Ireland. Uh, so that's the positive. Um, and I suppose from Tyke Furlong's point of view, he'll see how the economic climate is in Irish rugby in, in a year's time. But also, he, he more than likely, the, the, the budgets of the top English and French clubs um, will be higher and he will have more bargaining power. So it's not ideal, but at least we've kept him. We haven't lost them. And I would like to hope that in a year's time, Irish rugby will be in a, um, a better place. And, uh, you know, he, we can time down for till the next World Cup at least and, and go from there. Is it a bit short-sighted, uh, Wes, for the RFU? I mean, I'm struggling to wonder what Ty Furlan has to prove. You know, I mean, he's obviously proven himself as literally one of the best tight heads in the world over the last few years. Is it a bit short-sighted, a bit of a risk for the RFU not to take the plunge now and offer him what it is that he wants to tie him into a long-term contract rather than risk losing him potentially? And look, I know more often than not, you know, these risks don't um, come to reality and players sign up. But it is still a risk nonetheless not to tie him into a long-term contract now when they can secure his services for the next four years and to pay him what he wants. Probably is, yeah. Uh, one way of looking at it. I think, obviously, they know the players involved and from what you hear about Tyg, um, he wouldn't be a guy that would be highly likely to embrace a move abroad necessarily. He's happy enough where he is, so maybe they were hedging their bets that way. Um, I don't know. It's very interesting in, in terms of, like, obviously, there was casualties, so to speak, contract-wise across the provinces in the last few months, but they were generally players at the kind of mid to lower end of the spectrum. And it, it seems like the marquee deals are the effect of COVID has nearly been in shortening the length of the deal as opposed to a drastic salary reduction. There's been some salary reduction, but they've probably done quite well to keep pace there. And you'd imagine with the flow, the influx of money that will come from CBC and different things that... Um, Ultimately, in the long term, COVID won't affect salaries that much at the top end. Um, the only caveat with that, I suppose, is that the, the wealth of CBC is almost irrelevant in one sense because um, everyone else is benefiting from that money too. So our yeah. actual wealth in comparison to other countries hasn't risen at all. So um, I, I think it's just like, I just think it's on that term and in terms of you know, stuff that's happened with the TV stuff, um, you know, things that have happened over the last few years, like Seven's been in the Olympics, talks of changing calendars. I just think there's, you know, there's a very interesting kind of period ahead coming where the entire landscape could could, could change quite a bit. You don't want to be too dramatic about it, but I, I think things could, could change quite a bit on all sorts of levels over the next number of years. What's your reading of it, Donald? Just you. Sorry, Marcia. Yeah, look, I... I... <clears throat> I think there's an element, uh, it's almost, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a policy decision made within the RFU at a time when, you know, as Wes said, they had to reduce the contracted numbers in the provinces. We know from an administrative point of view, there was a number of people lost their jobs. So uh, from that point of view, as an organization, I think it was probably difficult to, to look at maybe um, increasing somebody's salary by 10, 20%. Um, and I, I, as a consequence of that, there's no doubt that, you know, the, the negotiators on this, they, they were at loggerheads to try and find a solution. There's no question in terms of quality. Ty Furlong is probably now the leading Irish player. He knows his value will probably go up another 10 or 15 percent like he is. 
he, he should and he will start a tight head in the three tests all you know uh, hopefully uh, injury doesn't interfere uh, so he'd probably come back from South Africa uh, worth even more um, yeah. so in, in that respect it probably keeps his options open in terms of um, we know what tight head props I mean they're up there with number 10s now in terms of the value to the team um, and look he'd have so many suitors in France and England in particular um, but it is it's not a great position given that he will now be well maybe he decided he's now going to be negotiating a year out from the next World Cup so that will give him an opportunity to uh, make up for what he's lost in this one year uh, contract on the basis that certainly from a cash flow point of view crowds will be back in the Aviva Stadium and the money will start coming through from CBC there's new broadcast deals in Pro 16 and in the Six Nations so as a consequence of that the union will be in a better position um, so I think look there'll be tough negotiation again in 12 months time but look it's brilliant that he's staying here but you know we spoke last week about or two weeks ago about you know the Irish model and the necessity to tweak the model on the back of what's happening to the provinces in Europe it'd be interesting to see if Ty Furlong did go to England or France whether or not you'd see a tweak in the uh, you know players outside of Ireland not being available to the national team uh, yeah. I think you'd, you'd be seeing an exception for that one Absolutely. Birch, do you want to come in there? No, I, ju I just wanted to come in and say that I actually, in this situation, I agree with Donald. I think the IRFU had to be prudent and there would have been massive question marks raised if they if they blew um, their policy around, you know, wage control, etc. during COVID to, to keep tight for long, given what's happening, you know, across the rest of the player base and administrative um, redundancies, etc. So I think they have to give them credit. You know, they didn't let him leave. Um, they managed to time down for a year. And hopefully in, in, in six, seven months, they're in a better position in terms of, you know, where they're going in terms of budgets to be able to do a deal with him. So I don't see it as being a um, a, a big worry. I think they'll, Tyg obviously wants to stay. If he didn't want to stay, he would have, he would have gone now, you know, so yeah. I'm back for yeah, that's my sense of it as well, that the IRFU said, look, you know, we can't afford to give you what you want, but they'll sign a one-year contract and when things change, obviously we get crowds back. That's, that was my sense of the whole thing as well. So look, if that's the case, then great. Um, and we'll see what happens in a year's time. Uh, the Rainbow Cup was obviously ongoing. You know, uh, there's very little interest in it other than that the Irish provinces are playing each other. So from that point of view, it's kind of interesting maybe to have a look at a couple of guys. But what's very apparent, I guess, is that Munster are going bullheaded for a trophy here. And they have picked their strongest side now for the last couple of weeks in a row. It's very apparent that Johan van Graan wants a piece of silverware to show for their season's efforts here. Uh, you would hope from the effort that the players are putting in and obviously from the importance that he has given this competition that they would go and do that. It seems quite important to Munster this season. Yeah, I, I'm enjoying it, actually, to be honest. It's better than having no games, I think. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I suppose they are definitely going for it. I don't think they're playing their strongest side every week. Um, I think, you know, that, that team that put out against Ulster was was quite far off full strength. Um, in fact, there was a couple of selections in it. Um, you know, I can understand, even though I wouldn't necessarily agree with the idea of trying to win the trophy and putting out a strong team, I can equally understand with going with younger guys with a view to next year. Uh, they arguably fell somewhere in between the other night when there was a couple of guys picked that won't even be at the club next year. Um, and I'm not sure what benefit that is in the long term. Um, so, you know, I think it's a mix and match policy, really. Um, and I think it's going to continue that way from what I hear. Um, but look, I, 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 
I don't think it's a medal fellas are going to cherish at the end of their career the way they would some other medals if they win it. But I, can there be long-term gains out of it? Absolutely, in terms of style and personnel development, I think. Yeah, and Rowan Van Grand came out after the match, Donald, and has said, um, we're not signing any more players now. We've, we've, we've got to sign the guys that we want to. We're hoping, obviously, they've got Rowan. Uh, Simon Zebo's coming back. Jason Jenkins, Rowan Osborne as well. Um, and they've got nine guys coming through from the academy. So um, All the he, South African contracts are done, you see, who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't seem to be the case. Obviously, the addition of Simon as well. If his his recovery from injury is managed, and um, the caveat being, of course, if South Africa decides to take him down with the Lions storm, they throw him in. You know, when he's not quite ready, out of what happened to Joey Carberry back in the World Cup, then they could have a serious problem. But let's hope that that's managed um, sufficiently. But yeah, like your reading of the, the Rainbow Cup, Donald, so far, Munster, the, the trophy present. Uh, <clears throat> well, look, I agree with um, with Wales from the point of view that the games have been way more interesting than, than I thought they would be. But I think that's the nature of the, the local derbies. You go back to the Ulster Connacht game, uh, in the, it was a fantastic game, the one that Connacht won in the last second. Um, uh, Munster actually played very well the other night. Ulster disappointed me. Yeah, we, we spoke about Oisley. They kind of capitulated against Leicester the previous week. You would have thought there'd be some kind of a reaction or a response to that, uh, but there wasn't. And, you know, they had a decent team out as well. Uh, I watched Connacht and, and Leinster, and after 10 or 15 minutes, you wondered, geez, the Leinster really have, uh, you know, the hangover from La Rochelle is there. And then they just flipped the switch, played brilliant rugby. And I, I think kind of highlighted the issues that, that Connacht have in, in their front five in particular and, and the loss of Quinn Rue, who's now gone off to Montpellier. And that's obviously a, another contractual issue that uh, we did mention. So um, from that point of view, I have found it great. And I, I must say this weekend, we have another couple of derbies coming up. But I just question, you know, I saw the, the, the announcement of the fixtures for rounds four to six. Um, I don't think, you know, we'd be quite as animated when Munster play Cardiff or um, you know, when Connacht are playing Benetton, I mean, those games for me, you know, we've seen so many drab matches in uh, around the, the, the Pro 14 involving those teams. Uh, I just find it very strange now that we, we have rounds four to six, but yeah. everybody has a bye. So therefore, you only have two of the three games. I don't understand the logic of how they actually came up with the fixtures or, do you know what I mean? How they, they, they balanced who plays what in terms of, of when you only have three fixtures or two fixtures left. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of, is there a final? Is there a playoff? Uh, is it the top of the league? What is it? So There's a suggestion they're going to try play a North v South final now, I heard yesterday. The winner mean, of the Southern this, Conference the, and the winner of the Northern yeah. Conference, South African versus European, maybe in Italy yeah. or somewhere like that, which would be great, but isn't guaranteed. Yeah, yeah well, that. But even that, yeah, like, so there that, is, that, sorry, Birch, go on, yeah. No, no, the original idea, Donald, uh, uh, sorry, was to, when, when, it, when it turned out the South Africans couldn't travel, which obviously wasn't a surprise to most of us, but then they said they were going to run off uh, a, a Northern Rainbow Cup and the top two teams would play a final. So the top two teams in the North and the top two teams in, 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 the, in South Africa would play a final. Over the last week, um, they've seemed to believe that they can get one team from South Africa up to Europe um, at the end of this, the, the, these five or six rounds. So that, that would mean that the top team from North plays uh, the, or the top team from South Africa. And we're talking about Italy as the venue for the final. Um, 
for some reason. But it's not guaranteed by any manner of means. But like the, all yeah. these clubs, all these teams are are pretty much in the dark around what the end is look like. Having said that, I think Munster having beaten Leinster first up. Like it's conceived, but Leinster, if Munster are unbeaten, Leinster, they could lock Leinster out and obviously go straight to a final against the, the South Africans or potentially have to play Leinster in a final. Um, but also, likewise, I mean, Glasgow have had a good start and they're putting with, I think, the, the Italian teams. Glasgow could end up, you know, becoming a top top team as well and, and knock Munster and Leinster out. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's a mess. <laughs> it's an absolute mess. Yeah. I have no clarity on it. Just on the Wesley thing about why Munster picked those players that they picked, I think... You know, Johan and, and the coaches there are thinking around, you know, we started the season together, we finished the season together. So that's probably the JJ and Nick McCarthy being involved is with a view to keeping squad morale um, all the way through to the end of competition. So I can see I can see the reason for that, even though um, obviously you would say you're better off giving some of the younger players game time in their place. But uh, if they want to win it together um, and let those guys have a proper shot at being competitive all the way to the end of the season. So what, what you're saying really is having got Leinster out of the way and Munster chasing that trophy for 10 years, they're now going to pull the Blue Bulls up from South Africa. <laughs> so they'll, they'll have to turn around and try and beat them then in, in Zebra or someplace. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so hope we go to Parma Mannix again. What a trip to Parma. How bad. Yeah. Happy memories. Any truth in the rumour that you taught Scotty Robinson everything he knows about breakdancing after winning the league contest? Apparently you started that trend in Grenoble. Is there any truth in that? <laughs> no, my uh, my predecessor, or my, my director, Ruby Fabrice Landreau, has a dance. He does every game, uh, the Benny B. But no, I, uh, very, only very late at night with a lot of liquor do I ever verge near a dance floor. And that's, uh, not, a, that's not a sight to see. But uh, look, at yeah, he's, um, he has the moves for sure. He sure does. He sure does. Um, okay, uh, just before we uh, leave it, lads, Mike Brown, just this is hot off the press, has just been given a six-week ban for um, his stamp on uh, during the Harlequins game at the weekend. Um, it was pretty apparent for all to see. The six-week ban, of course, means now that his career is effectively over, um, Birch, because he's retiring at the end of the season. It's not a great way for, I suppose, an England international um, of his stature to, to end his career, but it was... It was fairly blatant. And whether or not he meant it is, is really a moot point. If you stand on someone's face, you're looking at that kind of ban, right? Yeah, it, it was a nasty incident, to be honest. And um, it is sad for him that his career with Harlequins is is going to end with a with a suspension. In fairness to Quinns, you know, since the change of coach, or, or, they have turned it around. That was an unbelievable game at the weekend to come back against Wasps and, and, and win at the death. Marcus Smith's been phenomenal. Um he, I mean, if he was to go get into Eddie Jones' plans, he could change completely the way the way England play. He, he's that good. But for for Mike Brown, yeah, he's off to Newcastle. It's a it's a sad way to end. But look, at you you, you, you you take a chance with foul play like that, you're 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 taking the risk, and he's going to have to eat it up now and, and and suffer. Yeah, and I just was going through as well. It's something that we might get into another time, and um, Wes, but the amount of cards that have been still dished out in the game. I think over the weekend in the Premiership alone, there was uh, 10 yellow cards and two red cards handed out. Obviously, Will Addison got sent off in the Munster game. Peter Manny got a yellow card. It's it's not the officials here that are at fault. They're, they are just implementing the rules and regulations or the laws, if you want to be really pedantic about it, as they're being told. But the players still aren't adapting um, to to what the um, instruction is. And it's, it's kind of just delaying the game and it's unnecessary. And there's an awful lot of yellow cards and red cards in the handouts. So, so why, why wouldn't they be giving out a lot of cards when you can come back on after 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, 
as far as Mike Brown goes, yeah, I go along with Birch. Terribly sad. He always seems such a likable character. Um, uh, six weeks, like you go back to a bygone era. Peter Claus, he got about forty weeks for kicking Ruman, a far less uh, dangerous incident. So I think he's blessed to get off with six weeks. Yeah, I was wondering when I was wondering when the cookies would come into the conversation this week. Yeah. Well, in fairness, Conor O'Shea has always said that Mike Brown. I was waiting until you got the first Car Con reference in to bring it up. Yeah. In fairness, Donald Conor O'Shea has always said that Mike Brown is grossly misunderstood, and he's had a very difficult upbringing. And I think his father wasn't the nicest guy that ever walked. So, um, to, to kind of give him a, a, an easier path, but uh, nonetheless, look, I mean, it was what it was the weekend. Yeah, look, it's a it's an unfortunate way of, for for him. I think seventeen years in Harlequins, um, but look, these things happen. Um, you know, I think I don't know the fella at all. I never met him. Um, yeah. You know, uh, so I mean, I wouldn't cast any aspersions on him. But um, <laughs> look, it's 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 look the world. I, I have to say the Will Addison one. Uh, I didn't watch. Jeez, he was. I know he hadn't started a game for over a year, but he was <laughs> like a man possessed in that opening trade, like a fella let loose. And, uh, you know, to be fair, uh, he was unlucky to miss out on the World Cup squad two years ago. Uh, if you remember, he played in a couple of the warm-up games. He's um, He's been out injured almost since then. He came on as a sub, I think, against Connacht and nearly turned, you know, I thought he was made a brilliant impact in the game. Um, he's a player we've almost forgotten about. But um, uh, I, I don't know, but himself and Rory Scandal. And Rory is a very sort of... Uh, Quiet lad, there was there must have something must have happened in an Irish squad training game somewhere along the line, but uh, <laughs> they, they weren't holding back. But it it did seem strange. I'd almost forgotten watching the match that he could be replaced after twenty minutes. But um, you know yeah. that's that's one of the more bizarre changes that we've seen. It is, and I don't I don't know if that one is there to say. Okay, lads, and um, thanks many for your thoughts as always. We're back next week. Enjoy the Rainbow Cup matches this weekend: Ulster, Leinster, and Munster Connacht, both taking place on Friday night, the live on RT Radio 1 Extra. Okay, thanks, gents. Talk to you next week.